Welcome to the Frontline Herbalism Podcast with your host Nicole Rose from the Solidarity Apothecary. This is your place for all things plants and liberation. Let's get started. Hello, welcome back to the Frontline Herbalism Podcast. This is the third episode as part of a series focusing on the Medical Self-Defense Network. Um, I really encourage you to listen to the first two episodes if you haven't already, which explains what is the Medical Self-Defense Network, you know, what do they do, what they're working on around the world, and what are some of the like political principles and values and ideas that they share around kind of medicine and healthcare and, and social change. So this episode now is with um, an awesome person called Jill, who is from a group called East Tennessee Harm Reduction. And yeah, just an absolutely amazing um, grassroots project, like responding to needs in the community whether that is for support for people who use drugs whether that's um, abortion access and solidarity whether that's medicking on demos and responding to gunshot wounds like there's just so much work that they're doing and I just yeah I absolutely love this episode um, we talk about kind of like what even is harm reduction and what's its like radical origins and you know like just the kind of complexities of like doing grassroots work for example versus kind of more institutionalized harm reduction work so yeah without further ado I just think you should dive in and take a listen because I was yeah I found it really inspiring and I'll put the links in the show notes to East Tennessee harm reduction as well as to the medical self-defense network really encourage you to check out the website contact them if you'd like to get involved um, to follow them on Twitter and yeah just generally share these episodes with whoever you can because yeah it's really important work and just on a herbal front I would love to do a series soon about herbalism and harm reduction and interviewing herbalists like engaged in this work so if that's you please contact me um, I would love to make that happen but otherwise please enjoy this episode. <laughs> Hey Jill, thanks for being here. Um, please can you introduce yourself, your pronouns and just like any political affinities or projects that you'd like to include? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm Jill. I use they, them pronouns, and I am currently based in uh, the Appalachian region of the so-called United States, um, currently in eastern Tennessee. Uh, I am the founder of East Tennessee Harm Reduction, and I'm also a pre-med student and full-time paramedic here. And let's see, I work a lot with several other organizations, including Mutual Aid Disaster Relief um, and a lot of groups doing reproductive uh, health care justice work and helping people access that care. Amazing. And can I just say, I have like such an organizer crush on you, like on your Instagram and uh, <laughs> all the, all the stuff you're doing and like also mutual aid disaster relief. I've always, um, fortunately, like in England, we don't have like that many disasters other than like the disaster of capitalism, but like generally there hasn't been so much need for that kind of network. But, um, yeah, I think it's like amazing organizing. Um, but for folks who haven't heard of you, like, can you tell us a little bit about East Tennessee harm reduction and like what you do? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm a over 10 year um, heroin user. I haven't used in quite some time now, but growing up in those circles and being forced through a, a drug court program here in the U.S., was really formative for my um, 
sort of radical viewpoints and uh, grew me as a person wanting to get involved in the work that was going on around harm reduction as over, I think, 75% of the people in this program I was court ordered to be in um, either passed away or ended up in prison. And so that really got me started doing harm reduction work um, over a decade ago where I didn't even know what harm reduction was. I just knew that like the people I was in this program with were really in need of syringes or other supplies um, because all of us were still using. And um, so I just started sort of like sneaking people supplies to the morning drug tests and things like that. And I started reading um, Emma Goldman and all these books and realized like, oh, there's like harm reduction. This is like a thing that people do. And um, years later, I started East Tennessee Harm Reduction where I'm currently working with the community. And it's really a, we're not like a nonprofit or anything. Um, I started this just out of the back of my truck And we supply people who use drugs and other community members with syringes and meth pipes, um, all sorts of uh, drug use supplies so that people can use more safely and um, with best practices in mind that can help foster like their health and their autonomy to make those choices about their health care and what you know, just, it's really just an ongoing process of listening to what people need and not projecting like what I wish I had had when I was actively using. Um, So we do a lot of work around substance use, what supplies people need, what access to resources they need as far as like HIV and hep C testing. Um, I'm currently able to test folks as they desire and link them immediately to local resources for treatment. And our whole philosophy is pretty much like just meeting people where they're at as so many other, you know, groups um, do where they're doing this sort of work. And so we're never really like, we don't push for abstinence. We don't push for people to get tested. We just meet people where they're at and support them um, to make those decisions and help them make informed decisions about their care when they do reach out for assistance. Um, And then besides the like substance use work, we uh, do a lot of work around access to safe sex supplies, pregnancy testing, um, out-of-state abortion access. Currently in the U.S., um, we have just increasing barriers to care with the fall of Roe v. Wade, Um, that being overturned a little almost a year ago. abortion is completely banned in Tennessee from the time of conception. Uh, So I do a lot of work around that. And what else? Uh, A lot of work around police brutality and keeping the um, community members that are currently living in the unhoused encampments uh, supported in their um, rehoming and relocations, which are very frequent at the hands of the police and local government officials who continuously raid the camps. 
Um, so getting them new tents and new supplies when that does happen, trying to help them not lose those supplies uh, during the raids as well. Amazing. I mean, it sounds like exhausting, <laughs> like all the things at once, um, but like really like incredible, important work. And I'm definitely going to ask you like a million more questions um, about the organizing you're doing. But for lo- I'm sure like people listening to this are kind of like hopefully from all over the world. And I just wondered, like you're in East Tennessee, like in the so-called US and like, yeah, for people who aren't like familiar with your context, including me, like I'm just wondering what, you know, what it's like there, like what are the kind of challenges that are like, you know, that you're up against, like you already mentioned like abortion and houseless communities, for example. But I just wondered like if you could give us kind of like a bit of a picture of your context. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I've been really fortunate um, to see, to to be able to develop my own outside perspective as I lived in um, the Eastern Bloc of Europe for about a year and was able to get that sort of outside perspective of like, oh, it's truly bad here. <laughs> like um, currently just all across the country, we're seeing a incredible acceleration in right-wing extremist violence. Um, mass shootings are frequent. They happen multiple times a day here. Um, sometimes we see death tolls in you know, the upper 30s, even higher. Um, There was one a couple years ago where about 60 people were slaughtered. Um, Police brutality is a major issue. The violence against Black and Brown and other marginalized community members is just ongoing and relentless with zero accountability from the police. Um, There is just very little access to healthcare. Um, A lot of what East Tennessee harm reduction does is operating a um, semi-underground clinical space where people come for just very basic wellness treatments, as well as um, sometimes more major issues, broken bones. Um, I've been asked to treat a gunshot wound outside of the hospital setting. People really don't have access to good healthcare here. Um, Our borders are like absolutely atrocious. The U.S. is basically running internment camps at our borders right now. And um, I don't know, like I haven't left the country in several years, so I'm not seeing like what's really being broadcast in other nations about what's going on here, but it's definitely really scary. I think we had some beautiful moments during the George Floyd rebellion where we were seeing hints of really powerful resistance. Um, At this point, that's pretty much not happening. We're not really seeing massive um, mobilizations. We are seeing some really incredible work being done around Cop City. and protecting the Atlanta forest. Um, That's super incredible. And that work is really fueling a lot of inspiration for me right now. But yeah, there's just a lot going on right now and so many people are working so hard and a lot of activists are getting charged with domestic terrorism. Um, 
people are getting charged with murder for their friends overdosing. People are getting charged with um, infanticide and homicide charges for miscarrying their like unborn fetus. Uh, just really seeing some wild laws um, recently here in Tennessee. We saw government officials try and push through a bill that would make gay marriage illegal again here, as well as interracial marriage illegal. Um, we've seen legislation successfully ban the education around um, LGBTQ history, African-American history, Jewish history, the Holocaust um, that's being actively stripped out of our schools. Book bans are becoming very common. Um, drag is basically uh, now forced to be like 18 and up here in Tennessee. Um, drag queens are not allowed to perform anywhere where there might be children present. Um, they could be charged with felonies. Uh, Trans healthcare has been criminalized all across the country in various states, um, even for adults. So some of the work East Tennessee harm reduction is doing right now is um, building out a mail order uh, syringe program for HRT supplies because we're seeing more and more of these religious and right-wing pharmacists refuse to give people the injection supplies needed to take their hormones um, for those that take them via uh, IM or sub-Q routes. Um, what else? Yeah, just a lot of really extremist violence, a lot of uh, just awful. <laughs> it sucks here. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know, like, I just... Yeah, I can't imagine having like so many, like so many like terrains of struggle all at once, right? Like, and just all like real intense, like survival related things, like houselessness and like literally, am I going to get shot today? And like, yeah, yeah. that's, I, mean, yeah. I, I haven't left my house unarmed in years. I mean, well, and I, I hold the immense privilege of being white and having that layer of protection. But even still, I, like I've had top surgery. I am like pretty obviously a queer person in a very red state. And I, yeah, I'm at the gas station sometimes and I'm like, am I going to die today? <laughs> like there's just like people are very hostile in, in certain parts of the city as well as just the region in general. But we're also seeing a lot of really beautiful pushback, especially from the like queer and trans youth in this area. Like they they are going off. <laughs> and it's it's great. Oh well that's that's amazing. Um and yeah again I've got like a load of questions about things you've just mentioned. But I thought maybe like some folks don't know what the term like harm reduction means. And then I also thought like people might not know like the radical origins of like harm reduction um like in the UK it's like quite kind of institutionalized these days but has this like really long like decades like legacy of people just like you know like DIYing it with like the AIDS crisis of like you know I've got a friend 
um, who's much older, who's queer, and he literally used to just like drive vans to like clubs in London and just like give out like bags of condoms, like left, right, and center to try and like stop his friends from dying, you know? And um, yeah, like lots of people don't know like the kind of political history. Um, but I just wondered like, what does like harm reduction mean to you? You know, like why did you choose that name for the work you're doing? Like what value does it hold? What kind of political inspiration does it hold to you? Yeah, I love that question. Um, I think in the US, there's a really deep and very long history of harm reduction. Um, you know, the indigenous stewards of these lands practiced harm reduction um, in various forms. And I've learned a lot from especially black and brown women who have been um, the true like harm reductionists of their communities, whether that's like protecting their loved ones from police or getting um, their community members the supplies they need to stay safe. And I think being a part of that work and that legacy, I try to really embody that work and that history by not judging people and by not um, pushing any sort of agenda beyond just like you have an access to healthcare because it's your right and you deserve excellent care. Um, and that's sort of how when I speak to some of the elders in my community who've been um, you know, some of them don't even like, they don't consider themselves activists. They're not like hyper-political or anything, but they are in their existence, you know, because they've been doing this work and they're sort of the like caretakers of their entire block or their entire, you know, housing project or whatever. And so learning from them and, and seeing the way that they interact with their community has taught me a lot. And so my personal definition of harm reduction has really just been like, um, just like this open arm acceptance of anyone who is willing to like ask for something. Because I think even just that step of like, I have a need, could you help me, um, you know, fill this need is revolutionary in its foundation when we are taught that it's every man for himself and that, you know, capitalism has just like poisoned our instincts to build community with each other. And I think that one of the like purest forms of community is like, um, you know, if I have two brand new syringes and you don't have any and you're reusing your old banged up needle, like me giving you my extra new syringe, like that's such a deep form of community care because what happened in that moment is like the person willing to share and willing to see like we all have to work together is like, potentially helping this person not develop hep C or HIV or an abscess because the needle's now broken off, um, you know? And I think 
harm reduction is just so beautiful in that we can meet each other where we're at without expectation of change. And we can um, truly just listen to each other and get our needs met. And it sort of is that like magical thinking we sometimes see in our circles where we're like, yeah, that's great. Maybe like a thousand years in the future when we're not all like just trying to survive. But harm reduction is something that's happening right now that we can really look to, to say like these modalities of care are possible and they are happening and they are like building futures where someone who might not have continued living is now still here with us to be a badass and keep doing whatever they want with their life and with their choices. And that's to me just so great. And I think it just keeps driving me forward to do more healthcare work because I just love it. Oh, that is such a like beautiful definition of actually got like goosebumps. Um, <laughs> like I think, yeah, like I think for me, like this, like how you're talking, it's like it's so like humanizing of people, right? Like I've had very close friends um, use drugs and be in prison, um, you know, like because of it being criminalized and just like every step of their journey like they're so dehumanized like not just like the second they're in the prison but also by their kind of like so-called like support workers who are like for example pushing like an abstinence model or are just like generally kind of not recognizing like the poverty they're living in or like all these other factors or trauma or whatever and it's like yeah like the way you're speaking is like so beautiful because it's like this humanizing process, you know, like, I don't know if that's anything that resonates with you, but. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. I think I was just thinking about that this morning with um, like disaster tourism happening in these spaces of like abolitionist work and harm reduction and um, like disaster aid, because, you know, when there's a horrific hurricane here, we see all these, you know, right-wing militias show up because they get to run around and try and, you know, politicize people. But we also see that in harm reduction and abolitionist spaces where people are entering the prisons with Bibles, um, trying to say like, you know, their own agenda and are being coercive towards people and are seeing them as like tokens into heaven or whatever. Um, and we, we absolutely see that in the encampments here with um, some pretty vicious people coming into the spaces and proselytizing to uh, participants and unhoused people and um, saying like, you have to listen to this 30 minute sermon before we feed you dinner and things like that. And I think that's not humanizing people and that work is just so scary to me and I think the work that like y'all are doing with the prison support um and like the harm reduction work and all of the work that MSDN is doing is just so crucial because it does have that aspect of humanizing people um I was talking to this security guard at the hospital the other day after I had a really horrific experience um, getting care for a patient at a different hospital. And I pulled this 
really young guy aside who's a security guard at the hospital because um, it's the U.S. and doctors get shot here. <laughs> um, and I pulled him aside and I was like, don't ever forget that the people that like you might be struggling with in a moment because maybe someone, you know, has a noxic brain injury and they're being combative, like don't ever lose sight that they're human and don't ever let them just become a problem to you because that's when like you're going to hurt people in a very big way because a lot of the security guards, especially at some of the larger hospitals here are just detrimental to patient health. Um, we had a patient basically killed um, by security slash the police here recently. And I think that happens when people forget that we're human. And the more stigma attached to someone's identity, the less human they can seem to people who are wrapped up in these police state ideals and white supremacist ideals. So I think keeping that humanism alive in this work is just absolutely critical. And when we, if we ever lose that, like that's the day that people need to, you know, walk away from the work and take a break because it's just so important to make sure that we are humanizing people and humanizing this existence and these needs yeah and I feel like like that's why it's so important like your work in terms of supporting people who are using drugs because I think like I don't know how it is in the so-called U.S. but like here it's like they're definitely like the most like dehumanized you know like if you're in prison then it's like there's like such a hierarchy of like what your sentence is for and like whether you're on methadone or not and it's like you know just like the language like even in kind of like anarchist circles like I just yeah it just like shocks me and like I guess yeah my life experiences have been different to theirs in terms of having lots of like close people I love using drugs and you know being harmed by that sometimes as well but yeah like how how is it and where you are in terms of like how people who use drugs are treated and why is like harm reduction like so important as a response to that yeah that's a vital question I think it's something I I'm so like USA pilled <laughs> that I I didn't even remember to talk about that in my little intro was over 120,000 people died of opiate overdoses um last year <laughs> which is like become sort of the norm for the annual death toll and when I was recently looking at a map of the like globe that's not happening elsewhere to that degree. Um, and a lot of the reasoning behind that is stigma and people who use drugs being treated just like horrifically by the healthcare system, as well as, you know, their existence being criminalized. So as a paramedic, I've been called to the jail to treat like a cop who thought he touched you know fentanyl or to treat you know someone and there's just so much untrue like unscientific information that people are existing in a realm of fear 
And that fear has now been like turned into propaganda where we've seen people saying like, don't try and help someone overdosing because you might come in contact with the substance and it could kill you. Um, so we've seen just like the weaponization of um, sort of harm reduction efforts and other forms of care, even in like EMS settings where we have like people just not even letting EMS gain access to patients who are possibly overdosing because there's so much misinformation that's being purposefully put out by um, government agencies. But I think the stigma around people who use drugs here is that if you go to the ER, you're not going to get painkillers, even if you have a bad injury. People are going to call you drug-seeking. There's posters up in the hospitals describing what drug-seeking behavior is um, so that all the nurses and the doctors are all able to make these biased assumptions of people. And um, it sort of guarantees if you look a certain way or if maybe you haven't been able to shower recently or you are forthcoming about your substance use because you understand that um, hiding it could lead to even worse treatment in the healthcare setting. It's just, it's just so awful here because people are just not given any sort of adequate care at all. And I'm not sure how methadone works overseas, but here you have to go to like a methadone clinic. You have to go multiple times a week, you have to get drug tested frequently. They kind of just can take away your me medicine willy nilly. And um, there's no other medication where you have to go to a special building and like pee in a cup every single day to get your treatment. Um, it's really wild that it's so stigmatized here and just, the death tolls are skyrocketing. I think I've personally worked like five or six fatal overdoses this year so far. And um, I work an overdose, at least one every single shift. Um, and it's just like, it's so bad. It's so wild and bad here that people just don't even really care that much anymore. Wow. Yeah, I can, I can imagine. Like how, like in terms of your work with um, like your harm reduction work rather than your um, paramedic work, I'm just wondering like, what does that look like, like practically in terms of solidarity for people who like using drugs? Like you've mentioned um, needles, but are there like other supplies you're distributing or like other things you're doing to support people? Because um, I'm sure like people might be listening to this and feel kind of like inspired to maybe start their own project or something. Or, you know, like I think a lot of people just want to know like what to do, right? Like if they encounter someone um, experiencing an overdose, for example. But yeah, I just wondered like um, before we talk about kind of the self defense context, like what what do you think like can be practically done? And also maybe like, what are your thoughts on like um, kind of political organizing around this as well? Like in terms of 
you know, changing um, policies or like change. I mean, obviously, like we all want to like abolish the state and capitalism like ASAP, but just kind of like, yeah, like, are there any kind of like political pushbacks or resistance that can really like challenge this situation, right? Because it's absolutely like horrific what you're sharing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Just a small question there, like nothing. uh, (laughs) (laughs) I think as far as um, like harm reduction supplies and like what's helpful and I think a lot like a lot of people here like I give out Narcan and I'm like that's awesome what else are you giving out (laughs) because there's interest like to me intersectional harm reduction means not just needles and like not just Narcan focused or naloxone um, focused because there's so many other ways that people use substances. And so I think the white face of like drug use, especially of the opioid um, epidemic here is very detrimental to the health of black and brown communities who are facing higher overdose death rates than um, their white counterparts. And so I think making sure that information and zines and like pamphlets, all of that is reflective of the communities um, as well as like sharing supplies such as glassware and other forms of substance use materials like meth pipes, like crack pipes, um, ways to safely smoke cocaine. Um, You know, all of these little razor blades, like credit cards, um, straws, like so many, there's just so many supplies beyond just like needles that people need access to. Um, I had, I was diagnosed with hep C a long time ago and had the privilege of doing Harvoni treatment. So I'm undetectable at this point, but I'm almost positive I got hep C from sharing dollar bills um, for like stimulant consumption. And so making sure that harm reduction groups or people wanting to give out supplies just on their own, which is honestly super amazing is having all of those supplies and having the ability to educate people on why those supplies are important. Because if I had had someone telling me like, don't be sharing the same dollar bill up your nose where you have a ton of capillaries that could be likely busting open because you're using a vasoconstrictor. Um, Like you're basically sharing needles at that point when you're passing a dollar bill around a bar. Um, if someone had just like told me that, I definitely would have listened. And so I think being able to just like have those conversations is a really important tool. Um, safe sex supplies are super important, as well as like um, emergency contraceptive access, like Plan B or Julie um, or Ella. And there's so many names outside the US for different emergency contraceptives. I'm not familiar with those. Uh, but yeah, I think as far as supplies go, your most important supply is the ability to listen to others, whether that's through 
conversation or, you know, giving someone your number and opening a little Google chat, you know, hotline or just something for people to be able to message you their needs is so important. And then just always checking yourself and saying like, these are not my needs. These are the needs of someone else. And so it's not my job to project what I would want in their situation. And I think the idea of like, you know, put put on someone else's shoes and, and think about how they feel sometimes can be really detrimental because then we start thinking about ourselves and what we want. Um, and I think that's always a really sort of like mental supply that we need to carry with us in this work. Um, and then as far as like the political organizing aspects of harm reduction, I think we're seeing more pushes for policy change here. Um, the Survivors Union just put out this awesome manifesto about methadone and the barriers to care around it, uh, like it being in a, a methadone clinic and the just like carcerality of that treatment method and how how it's just being sort of held hostage from people who need that care. <laughs> Pardon me. Um, and then we're also seeing just very right-wing laws where you can be charged with facilitated homicide. We just had that happen here um, where three students overdosed the morning of their graduation and the two of them experienced fatality. One of them survived and that person's being charged with the murder of the two others through facilitated homicide. Um, so we're seeing some effort to push back against these laws where um, we're seeing even children being charged with murder because they chose to experiment with substances, which to me is a very normal part of being, you know, a teenager. And, you know, when you grow up seeing the sort of culture in the U.S. where everyone's partying, everyone's drinking, and it's very much like a cool thing to do. Like, of course, our teens are going to experiment. And I think it's normal, too. But now we're seeing them being charged with murder, which is like, what? <laughs> um, but that's also been a thing here. And that's not like a new thing. But we're seeing it escalate and those charges becoming more frequent. Um, we're also seeing a lot of good work being done um, in the more northern states where we have safe injection sites in New York. Like, that's so awesome. I wish we had that here. Um, I had the experience of getting to volunteer in one um, at a conference, and it was awesome. No one died. Like, <laughs> there's just such simple, like, solutions and we're not allowed to do them openly and publicly. And it sucks because I've seen them work for myself and it's so frustrating. Um, but I think the work that's being done like in Canada and um, obviously in Europe, I mean, there's like entire countries in Europe where you can just like get safe supplies of heroin. So like no one even really does heroin there anymore. In I think it was like Denmark. I can't remember. There's some country where you can just like get 
heroin that's like been lab tested so you know you're not gonna just keel over from taking it and their overdose rates just plummeted and it's if that happened here there would be like a million people not dead over 10 years it's just wild but people want to just continue making things more illegal making it more of a felony throwing people in jail for longer sentences and it's actively killing people <laughs> and it's just such a shame but i think from anarchist perspectives we know to expect this but as an anarchist i also know that the future holds so many possibilities that i'm just like foaming at the mouth to get there because we are building these um alternative methods of care and they are working and it is very small scale but these creatures who are harming us like they're not going to be alive forever and we are going to see their downfall and we're going to take care of each other and that's absolutely a threat <laughs> amazing that's like yeah i hope people listening to this are like fuck yeah yeah <laughs> Because, you know, it is hard to not feel, like, overwhelmed, right? Like, with the harm and the state of the world and, like, and, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a lot. But, um, obviously, this is, like, other podcasts trying to kind of amplify the work of, like, the Medical Self-Defense Network. And I just wondered, like, how you see your work, like, in the context of, like, medical self-defense, like, more broadly and also within, like, MSDN itself as a structure, um, if you could speak to that, that'd be amazing. Yeah. Oh, I love MSDN. I had heard about them through a friend probably a year before I was able to join. And I was just so excited to learn more and to see the work that was being done. Um, I've been a member for time's not real. So it's either been one year or two years. I'm not sure. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think the work being done in medical self-defense is so beautiful because it spans across borders. It is so just not dependent on any sort of barriers. I've had friends from the U.S. travel for, um, for education and for you know support work and just all of these opportunities where people are coming together and doing that visioning of what the future can hold but they're also making it happen right now and they're saying you know we have the ability to to do something now so let's do it and it's happening and they are doing it and i think that's so great and then for my work in msdn i think um self-defense is healthcare because you're defending your right to bodily autonomy every time you're able to take care of yourself and able to make a choice about your health care um and i think especially in uh, the United States, where we often see the most marginalized communities excluded from 
what care is being offered, especially in disaster settings. Uh, Self-defense is necessary in a very, like, foundational way to people existing through disaster. Um, I went, I filled my truck with supplies and, and oxygen tanks and things and went to Kentucky during some of the most horrific floods that have happened in history there, um, where a lot of people perished in the floods and the coal mine miners were just deeply affected by this and these communities around <coughs> what had historically been mining towns um, were just ravaged. And we saw very little support from the government at all. Um, neighbors were rescuing each other while their houses were just completely gone. And I think I went up there uh, just as an individual and started uh, assisting with rescue work and um, like roads were completely gone. So hiking oxygen tanks up to the tops of these haulers where, you know, some of these older coal miners, they were up there and they couldn't breathe because their oxygen tank had, you know, run out and that they have, you know, all of these horrific lung and like pulmonary issues from working in the mines and they were gasping for breath and no one was helping them. Um, and it was just, it's in those moments where you're just like, this is self-defense work. It's not even just like, oh, I'm a medic. I have the skills. I can go do this. It's like, no, we as community members have to all come together in this moment and take care of each other because we cannot like tolerate one more person passing from this tragedy due to the lack of a government response and due to the lack of even just like local response from other organizations that are like less political. And so I think Medical Self-Defense Network really embodies what it means to take care of communities when you're all you have. Um, and that's probably my favorite thing about MSDN is just having other people who understand that like we are our own first responders and like we have to take care of each other because there's no one else really to like rely on beyond our communities that we build ourselves um, as care networks. Yeah, amazing. Like just, this is like a really selfish question because sometimes when I'm working in Calais, like in Northern France, we have like a mobile clinic with um, refugees who are living there or like forced to live there because of the British state and the border regime. But like, I often feel like the work is like a sticking plaster. Like I feel like I'm literally sticking plasters on, right? Like doing first aid dressings. And I feel like frustrated that I'm not like resisting the border regime more. Like, okay, you know, I do what I can. I do like prisoner support stuff with people criminalized, blah, 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 blah. But like, yeah, like this thing of like actually building networks of care and like building infrastructure, like it can help it feel much more like longer term and like strategic, right? Yeah. Um, but I just wondered like, yeah, like how 
yeah and again sorry I just also wanted to comment on about like when you said about the miners like breathing like how yeah just like how beautiful that is and how like humanizing it is and it was kind of when I did a lot of animal liberation stuff when I was like young it was like okay you might not be able to like abolish this whole system of factory farming but actually like if you get that one animal out like that's their life right and they're alive and they're like they're happy like they don't give a shit about what bigger broader political change you've created they care about their life somehow and like it just yeah kind of made me think of that of like you know like especially as anarchists like we can be so ambitious right politically of like we want these huge changes but then you forget like what's right in front of you um but I just wondered like what your relationship is I mean I liked how you said that time doesn't exist like that was nice but like yeah what's your relationship to this work in terms of like broader structural change and then just like day-to-day everyday like struggle and mutual aid like how do they connect to you yes that is a great question thank you for asking that um this is something I have to constantly sort of be in conversation with myself around because I'm a person who just like I want something like I'm gonna freak out and like find a way to get it immediately because that's just like how my brain works. I'm like, oh, like I want to go to med school. I'm gonna do it as like, I'm definitely gonna do it. And I'm gonna just like grind my way there and and I'm gonna get it. Whereas with these like long-term huge systemic changes, it's so disheartening sometimes because we might get a taste of it but then it's like oh it's so big like I'll drive down the highway and I'll see like you know all the hundreds and thousands of cars you know if I'm on a road trip and I'm like are these people having similar thoughts like about change or like they just don't care like what like there's so many people how can we get everyone mobilized together But then I'll have moments where, like the other day, a friend who is so deeply been harmed by the local hospital systems that he wouldn't access them, even though his arm was like very obviously broken. Um, And a friend brought him to my house to get it splinted up and stuff. And I was able to give him like, you know, some medication and give him his arm in a sling and a, in a splint to where it was at least a little more comfortable and, um, you know, make a, a, some adjustments. And I think in those moments, it's so important to realize like that was really important for him. And that was a very like supportive relationship to build in that moment where he was able to get care that, he was comfortable with and I did tell him like you should really go to the hospital (laughs) um because I'm worried about you know your bones healing misaligned or something but like he has the info to make that decision for himself now and he's now more comfortable and he has you know the medical supplies to take care of himself for a while until he comes back for like a checkup or whatever but those little moments where like we do make a little bit of a ripple or something, you know, we drop a little stone in the lake. 
Like those are important. And I think holding on to those moments can be more than just fuel for the next interaction. And it could be more than just like something that can hold you over. Because if you're like making, you know, a quilt, you have them all of the little squares of fabric to make the quilt. And you keep all of those pieces of fabric for so long and you just cherish each of them because they're special. Maybe you cut them up out of, you know, your favorite t-shirts or something and you get them from friends or whatever. And then one day you have enough to make a quilt and one day, you know, enough people have given you fabric and enough people have like come together that you've made this beautiful blanket for your community. And I think that like that's sort of how even just small acts of like kindness can become revolutionary. Because when I think about like the, you know, acts that happened during the George Floyd rebellion, like those were so just awesome because people just came together in those moments and said like enough. And I think when we harness those, all those small acts of care and build that trust with each other, we're able to really relinquish the sort of control that we kind of want to have over what the future could look like. And we're able to just come together and see what happens. And so I think, yeah, I think just constantly reminding myself like the little things you're doing, even though they're not going to like overthrow the government today, like they are making a very big impact in the long run because they're directly opposed to the current systems that are in place. Wow, I can tell you've thought about this on your long drives already. <laughs> like, that's a really beautiful um, analogy. And I think, yeah, like it kind of, I always see that like revolutionary organizing or movement building, like it's all about like relationships, right? And like the more of those relationships and connections we can like build over time, like the stronger we are. And I think that's what MSDN like gives the people that are involved is like relationship right of like oh I know this medic like working in Ukraine or oh hey this person's like printing tourniquets in Poland it's like you know who knows what will happen right like in the future and when those relationships need to be like stepped up a notch like in terms of infrastructure or or whatever but I think yeah what you shared as an analogy is really beautiful um, I'm just aware that we're coming up to an hour um, which is generally like the limit of what a lot of people have like capacity to listen to yeah um, I just I did really want to ask you a little bit about the abortion support you're doing and I also just wanted to ask you like if there's anything else you'd really like to share with folks about um East Tennessee harm reduction and like how people can support your work yeah definitely I think um abortion access in this country and like globally is vital absolutely vital to existence and to bodily autonomy and to being a human. It's a part of life. It's a very boring procedure, like clinically, and it's so 
safe. And I think helping people access care outside of Tennessee right now is one of the most like important things I'm able to do because the consequences of carrying a non-viable or viable, which like those words actually don't even mean anything. They're not like scientific. (laughs) So I don't know why I said that, but like the consequences of like carrying a pregnancy that is not what you want to be doing are detrimental to people. It's detrimental to their health, to their well-being, to their futures, and they have every right to not carry that pregnancy for any reason at any gestational age. Um, And so helping people access that care is just so crucial right now. And I think anyone who is able to share like accurate and safe information like from aid access or from i need an a.org or any other like very retribute um what's the word very like accurate information sources i think is vital because a lot of people are receiving um incorrect info about what's happening around abortion access and um yeah, I think that work is just very important. And then let's see, what was your other question? <laughs> um, yeah, just like if there's anything else you want to share about um, East Tennessee harm reduction and also like how folks can support your work. Yeah, definitely. Um, we are on Instagram. We somehow got like a, a large following, which is funny because most of the people we work with don't really even have Instagram. Um, but we're on Instagram at East TN Harm Redux, R-E-D-U-X. Um, you can follow us there. And we have like Cash App and Venmo for the same um, handle if folks want to donate or whatever. Um, we're like a totally community-supported project. Uh, we don't really apply for like grants or anything like that. It's really just community members meeting each other's needs, which is, I think, really great. And yeah, this has just been such a wonderful um, conversation, Nicole. Thank you so much. Oh, my honestly, my pleasure. I feel like I was feeling quite burnt out with my work in France. And now I'm just like, yeah, get me back in the clinic. Like, um, I think your work is really amazing. And I'm super grateful for you for sharing everything. I know like a lot of this stuff is probably really not easy to talk about. Um, So I appreciate you. Thanks so much for listening to the Frontline Herbalism podcast. You can find the transcript, the links, all the resources from the show at solidarityapothecary.org forward slash podcast.